excited and ready for church and what God is going to do. As you can see, we're going to be baptizing some people this morning, so it's going to be an exciting morning. And so, I, as you can tell, I'm ready. I got the energy. I'm ready to go. I do have a coffee in me, so that is like extra energy for Aaron Moore. So uh, it's going to be an awesome day. Uh, well, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Aaron Moore. I'm the student pastor here at the church. And if this is your first time here, we just want to thank you so much for being here. Come on, can we give it up for our first time guest this morning? We just want to thank you so much for joining us at Victory Life Church, taking time out of your Sunday morning to try us out. Whether you're here in person or online, thank you so much for being here. We would love to get to know you and for you to get to know us and more about our church. And the best way to do that is to fill out the Guest Connect card on the back of the seat in front of you. Fill out that information, take it to the Welcome Center, and we want to get a gift in your hand as well and just say hi and get to know you a little bit. Um, and then if you're here online, we want to thank you so much as well. And just uh, would love to get to know you. You could go on our website at vlchurch.com and you can fill out the new here tab. Same kind of information, but we would just love to walk this journey out together. That's a value here at Victory Life Church is that we do life together. Amen. Well, I've got a couple things for us this morning. Like I said, we're going to be baptizing uh, some uh, of our people here in our congregation who are taking that next step in their journey, and we're really excited about it. And uh, we just want to extend the invite to you that we're going to be baptizing everyone in our second service. And so if you're like, man, I just want to witness this. I want to be here to see uh, people get baptized this morning. You are more than welcome to, uh, to stay and to be a part of that. Uh, it's at the beginning of our service. We'll be worshiping together. And then, uh, and then we won't be mad at you if you want to dip out for the rest of the service, too. Um, we won't talk about you secretly at all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you could double dip. I'm just kidding. Um, listen, y'all, uh, so excited about that. But for real, if you want to stay and, and be a part of that, it's such an amazing and special thing to watch people take their, that next step in their faith with Jesus. Amen. The last thing I got for us this morning, come on, we got Pursue Night coming up on November 18th, 6.30 p.m. here at Victory Life Church. And man, if you haven't been to a Pursue Night, it's so special. It's a special time of getting uh, in, in the presence of God intentionally, seeking the Lord together as a church, as a people. And uh, man, God speaks do we believe that God speaks to us? When we give him space and we give him opportunity to speak to us, he does. And he wants to, he wants to impact our lives in uh, an amazing way. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. We're going to be praying together, worshiping, taking time to reflect in the presence of Jesus. And then after that, we're going to be celebrating uh, Victory Lifestyle. We're going to have pizza. We're going to have games. It's going to be a celebration. Why? Because we're going to celebrate being in the presence of God. Amen? So uh, I want to invite you to be out to that. You can invite your whole family. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. And I promise you, it'll be refreshing. It's been a blessing to my family. I know so many in this place as well. And so I want to uh, invite you out on November 18th to be a part of that with us at 6.30 p.m. right here at the church. Well, that's all I have for us this morning. If you came to worship the Lord with your tithes and your offerings, I just want to thank you for doing so. You could do so in a few different ways. You could text to give. You could give online at vlchurch.com, or you could give on your way out. We just want to thank you so much for worshiping the Lord in that way. But can we stand to our feet and get uh, ready to worship and just let's just prepare our hearts this morning?
Lord, we just thank you that we get to be here in this moment, in this place, worshiping your name. Lord, you deserve it. You deserve our worship. You deserve our praise. And Lord, we want to give every breath back to you because you've given it to us first. And Lord, we just want to thank you for your love that you walk with us each and every day. And Lord, we want to uh, praise you and honor you this morning. Lord, I pray that we are refreshed and I pray that you are honored. Lord, I pray that for some of us in this place, maybe walking in with anxiety or walking in with some, some uh, heavy weight on our shoulders this morning, I pray we would just be able to focus our eyes on you. Lord, because when we focus our eyes on you, Lord, something special happens and you move in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.
search the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise Treasures the faith I never
something that's completely dead. He can change any situation, any trial. He can deliver any person this morning from anything that we're going through. He can bring life to our situations. And that is why we can sing what a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. And what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus is powerful. Let's worship him this morning.
Lord Jesus, you were the stone that the builders rejected. You were the one who was despised, mistreated, lied upon, and who ultimately suffered and died on a cross for the sins of humanity, that you might bring us near to God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we speak of the beauty of your name today because you have drawn us near. You've put us in a position to know the God who created us and loved us enough to save our souls. There is salvation found in no one else. You, Lord Jesus, are the name above all names. You hold it, and it is you who sits on the throne and who will reign forevermore. Our King, our Savior, our friend. Be blessed in this place today, we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life today. I'm Pastor Matt. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us. And uh, at this time, we're going to dismiss our young disciples. So you who are going to head down the hall and get a lesson with Miss Jody, we will see you in just a little bit. For those of you who remain, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. This is week 11 in our journey in the book of Matthew, and it's been a good one. Well, I really appreciate our worship team this morning leading us into the presence of the Lord and reminding us of the truths of the gospel through song. I remember years ago, I was part of a group in college, and they were far more, what's the word I'm looking for, excited than I was as a worshiper. In fact, they scared me a little bit a lot of the time. All right, we'd go on these worship services, and, and they would be a little more demonstrative than I'm comfortable with, a little more over the top than the kind of ways in which I worship, but they loved the Lord deeply. And so I was like, all right, we'll roll with it. You know, maybe I won't do all the things that they do, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll roll with it with these folks. Well, anyhow, we were in a prayer meeting, and it was, it was a good one. You know, you ever been in a good prayer meeting? You know, not the one where people are just praying to pray, but you really feel the presence of the Lord, you know? And we're in this prayer meeting, and people are beginning to really get demonstrative, I guess, in their physical acts of worship and prayer. There's people laying prostrate on the floor, like face down. There's people kneeling. There's people pacing the room and just kind of praying their own prayers. And I'm learning to be okay with this type of prayer meeting. You know, I'm learning that, 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 that these are physical manifestations of a, of a deeply spiritual heart, and I'm good. I'm good in this prayer meeting. Well, all of a sudden, this this gal gets ramped up in prayer, and she's praying fervently. She's really going for it, you know. She's really passionate about what she's saying, and 
and I'm sitting there next to my roommate, and we're, we're enjoying this prayer meeting, and she gets going, and she goes, God, we know you're going to answer this prayer. She says, and if you don't, you're a liar. And I opened my eyes, and I looked at my roommate, and he looked at me. We thought, we got to get out of here. <laughs> this is the craziest prayer meeting we've ever been in, you know? Like, she went ahead and, and just said something that was, was uh, possibly blasphemous, right? Right in the middle of this prayer meeting, and we realized, ah, somebody's going to have to talk to her, and I'm just glad it's not going to be me, right? Because <laughs> that, that's just odd and off and weird, and we can't be doing that in a, in a prayer meeting. You know, sometimes people speak up, and it is not what we're looking for. But sometimes people speak up, and it's still uncomfortable and awkward and weird, but it's just right. It's just right. And I think if nothing else over the course of the last 11 weeks, we have been moving in the direction that we as believers in Jesus Christ ought to speak up. And it is going to be weird. It is going to be awkward at times. It is going to feel feel not right at times, but it's exactly right. It's exactly what we ought to do. It's exactly what we ought to say. And we're going to see a moment today that I believe that had the potential to be quite awkward. In fact, it may have been in the moment, and I'll try to explain why that is. But we talked last week about the two miracles that Jesus does in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 being necessary for his disciples to settle on his identity. Well, this, this week he's going to tell us why. This is a continuation of right where we were last week where he says, don't get into the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You need to go ahead and, and truly believe in my identity, not only as the Savior of the Jewish people, or the Savior of the world. And this week we're going to see why. And the main idea behind everything I'm going to say to you today from the scriptures in Matthew 16 is this. We must settle on Jesus' identity to build his life-saving church. Because that's what he's going to tell his disciples today in Matthew 16, that they need to settle in on who he is because he has a life-saving church to build that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Are you in Matthew 16? We're going to be reading verse 13 and following. This is the follow-up to his discussion with his disciples about not doubting like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is what it says in verse 13 and following. Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, And he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Powerful, powerful words. A lot to unpack today, and I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. What we're going to do today is just go verse by verse. We're going to go verse by verse and and, and look at every idea that takes place here. And then we're going to try to apply it to our lives. So we're just going to break this discussion this morning into two sections, verse by verse, and then what we believe that Jesus would have us do in response to it. If you look at verse 13, we see that Jesus has gone to Caesarea Philippi. This is in the northern part of Israel. He's getting away from the crowds. He's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. 
So for all of you who have that Bible in the, or that, those maps in the back of your Bible that you look at when you get bored with the preacher like I do, all right, you can see we're north of the Sea of Galilee. Don't get bored with me today. In fact, it's very warm in here, so the pastors don't freeze in the baptismal and second service. So sweat profusely with me, if you dare, because I have light shining on me. And, uh, but don't fall asleep. If, if you get bored, read your map. But anyhow, he, he gets alone with his disciples, probably about as far out in Israel as he can get because he needs them to settle in on his identity. There's not a lot of ministry noted up in Caesarea Philippi. In fact, just one interaction, it's all about who he is. The transfiguration takes place up there in chapter 17. This is all about Jesus' identity. He needs his disciples to settle on his identity because he's going to explain to them in the very verses that that follow this that he's going to have to suffer and die in order to be the Christ, in order to be the Messiah. And so he needs them to know, I am who who you think I am, but I'm going to do some things that you don't expect me to be doing. So Jesus stops his disciples somewhere in the region of Caesarea Philippi and says, who do men say that the Son of Man is? See, this is a warm-up question. All right, You ever do this with somebody? You give them a question because you want to get to the point eventually. He gives them this warm-up question. Who do men say that the Son of Man is? This is Jesus' favorite self-designation, Son of Man, and it's loaded now, now, the reason he calls himself Son of Man have been, has been written in books. There's multiple theses, theses that are written on this question, why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? But, but when he calls himself the Son of Man, to anybody who had read the Old Testament, who had read their Bible at the time, they would have known that Jesus was declaring, I am of significant biblical importance. It's kind of redundant, but I, I'm, I'm significantly important. Whether he's the Son of Man from Ezekiel, who, who is the one who's going to come to judge in the last day, whether he is the son of man who's kind of like David, the, 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 the Messiah figure. He, he's letting them know, I am of tremendous importance, but he doesn't come right out and say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior that you've been waiting for. And, and most scholars believe the reason he doesn't do this is because there have been so many false ones who had already come. People had said, I'm, I'm it. I'm the one. I, I'm, I'm he. And when you start to say, I'm he, that gets you killed pretty quick in Israel. All right? So he's, he's letting them know, I'm of significant biblical importance, but I'm not going to tell you who I am. You're going to figure it out. I'm not going to force you to believe it. You're going to come to believe it. So what do they respond to him in verse 14? Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Now, that's interesting because John the Baptist at this point was missing a head. All right? Which means that he was the boogeyman. He was the spiritual boogeyman of Israel to some. All right, John the Baptist is back, calling us to repentance. Uh, we don't see a lot of miracles done by John the Baptist. But I can't remember any in the scriptures, but uh, uh, also of significant biblical importance. In fact, Herod was scared. Herod, who had taken John the Baptist's life, was scared that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnate because of the great miracles that he was doing. So some people thought that Jesus might be the boogeyman, but that's, that's not where everybody is. His disciples report to him, some people say that you're Elijah, and that's an interesting one, because the... Israelites at that time had expected they'd have a Messiah, a Savior who was going to come, and that Elijah was going to come before the Messiah. So in essence, there's a group of people saying, well, he's almost it. He's just not quite it. He's almost the Savior. He's just not quite the Savior. Now, some said he was Jeremiah. That's interesting, because Isaiah was the most famous prophet. But they're saying he could be Jeremiah, 
That might be because Jesus always found himself in conflict with the leadership of the established church at the time, or the established religion. And Jeremiah was always in conflict with the priests and the leadership. Jesus was consistently in conflict with the priests and the leadership. Maybe that's why they thought he was Jeremiah, or he was another forerunner to the Messiah. See, there had been some books written between the Old Testament and the New Testament that had said Jeremiah had stolen the Ark of the Covenant and hid it before Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians could find it. He went up to Mount Nebo, he hid the Ark of the Covenant, and before the Messiah should return, Jeremiah will return the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. Now, we all know that's not true because Indiana Jones found it in Egypt. So we can't give much credence to that. And right now it's in a crate in Area 51, and so we know that that can't be right. And then finally... Some people just say, you know, he's, he's one of the prophets. He's one of the prophets. Now, for Jesus to be any one of those four, people, four categories, whether he's John the Baptist, come back from the dead, whether he's Elijah, come down from heaven as a forerunner of the Messiah, whether he's Jeremiah reincarnate, or whether he's one of the prophets reincarnate, people are going, this guy is super spiritual and important. But no one is saying what ought to have been said. No one dares broach the topic of Messiah. Now, Messiah is the Jewish word for anointed one. In the Greek, it is Christ. But probably best understood to this Gentile audience, the Savior who we've been waiting for. No one apparently is saying that. No one dare whisper it because that gets you in trouble. That's not polite. That's not something you want to just broadcast. People might think you're crazy, or that might get you into a fight if you claim somebody was the Messiah at that time in history. That's a problem. On Tuesday, I hope that you all go vote, and what will happen, you'll go and you'll give them their, your ID, and then they'll give you a ballot in a sleeve because you don't want anybody to see who you're voting for, Right? And then you'll go into this little booth and you'll, put your, you'll put, it, put your ballot in there and then you'll open the sleeve and then you'll mark and you'll look if anybody's trying to watch you. Are you cheating, you know? No, I don't know who that judge is, I'm guessing, right? So you, you, you do that. And then you walk over and the person tells you, no, I won't put it in. I won't put it in, you go ahead and put that in the machine that counts it. Because it's all to be done anonymously. And I'm sure amongst friends and amongst co- maybe some coworkers, some people, you'll talk about who you voted for, but it's not for John Q. Public to know. It's just not polite. And then three weeks from now, you'll be sitting there at Thanksgiving, and some uncle of yours who's had too many cranberries or something like it will say who they voted for and why, and it won't be the majority of the opinion of the table. And you'll think, why did they have to bring that up? We were having such a nice discussion about how bad the Browns are, and now someone has broached that thing that we just don't do. We don't talk politics at the table, right? Even if most of us are on the same side or whatever. Nobody's saying Messiah. Nobody wants to go there. It, it just, them, them is fighting words. Even at that time, gets you in trouble, gets people thinking, how are they tracking? You just don't want to go there. Except Peter had had too many cranberries. Peter's going to go there. Peter's going to be the one that's bold. Except as inappropriate as it would have been in the culture at the time to declare somebody Messiah, 
he was saying exactly what ought to have been said. And that's what's so cool. Everybody else is dancing, not Peter. Peter in verse 16 says, you are the Christ. He would have said Mashiach, Messiah, but you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the savior we've been waiting for. I'm not ashamed to say it. Jesus had not yet risen from the dead. He'd not yet transfigured up on that mountain in his glorious form. He is just a miracle worker at this point who speaks with authority, but Peter knows. Peter knows. Not only does Peter know, but then he does Messiah one better. He says, you're the son of the living God. You share in divinity. You're no mere man, and I'm certain of it. You are the son of the God who is living and active and intersperses himself into human history in order to save. That's who you are. Pretty good for a temperamental fisherman. Pretty good for an uneducated fella. We know that from Acts 4, by the way, that he was uneducated. Pretty good. Jesus doesn't, doesn't say he marvels this time. He marveled at the centurion, right? Doesn't say he marveled, but he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father who's in heaven, that, that's who's revealed this to you. You are so blessed that the Lord has allowed you to see me for who I am. And I just want to get that right today. It's not the point of the sermon. Some of us like to say we found Jesus, but let's be clear, Jesus found us, and we're blessed. He came after us. He made the great descent. We didn't make the great ascent. He came down to our level because we couldn't get up to his. Thanks, Bill Gaither. Lyrics, anybody? No? Am I the only one who listens to gospel music north of the Mason-Dixon line? I apologize. I won't sing any of it for you. Jesus then changes his name. He says, you are Peter, which is a masculine way of saying you're a rock, a name not seen in history until the Gospels. Peter wasn't a common name. It wasn't a proper name. It's created by the Gospel writers to convey Peter's name in the Aramaic, which was Cephas, from the word Kepha, Cephas. So when you see Paul call him Cephas later on, that's because Paul was saying his Aramaic name. But Matthew's writing to a Greek audience, so he's got to say Kepha in, in Greek. I don't know if I said that right. Let me back up. I, I shouldn't get into languages, but it's important. Jesus was speaking in Aramaic. Matthew's writing in Greek. He changes Simon's name to Cephas. But since this is Greek, Matthew has to translate Cephas into Greek. And so he makes up a name, <laughs> Peter, because he can't call him Petra, because Petra's rock, but then he would have been calling Peter a girl, and that wouldn't have flown with Peter, <laughs> okay? So he calls him Petros. That's why I always look at Peter and say, Peter the rock, how you doing this morning? So he changed his name and says, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now we need Peter to be the rock. It's important that he's the first leader of the church. It's him in Acts chapter 2 who, when the crowds say, how do I know that I'm saved? He says, well, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know you're in. It's Peter who declares that in the first ever Christian sermon. 
It's Peter who goes to the household of Cornelius and brings the first crowd of Gentiles into the faith and then goes back and reports to the church, hey, Gentiles can be saved too, not just Jews. Remember that seven, those seven loaves or those seven baskets left over? He's the savior of the world. So thanks, Peter, because we're all here. It's Peter in Acts 15 who's the loudest voice, the most important voice at the Jerusalem Council where they're trying to decide whether Gentiles have to follow the Jewish laws and customs in order to be Christians. And it's because of Peter that you're not wearing a yarmulke and you can have a ham sandwich this afternoon. So thanks, Peter. So he, he was very, very important. But what made him important? Was Peter inherently special? Was Peter inherently awesome? Was Peter inherent? No. Heaven had revealed something that he was willing to spout. That's what put Peter in the unique position to begin to lead the church when Jesus ascended to heaven. Heaven had revealed the identity of Jesus to him, and he was willing to unabashedly speak to the identity of Jesus. That's what allowed him to lead in Christ's church. Now, I don't believe in the primacy of Peter. I don't believe that every, everybody who was bishop of Rome after Peter gets to make up whatever rules they, they want to make up. I want us to focus on what's going on here. Jesus needed his disciples to settle on his identity to build his life-saving church. And someone was willing to settle on it and say, this is who you are. And it was a turning point in the ministry of Jesus because now he can turn his focus to saving the sins of the world by dying on a cross. So Jesus is, is making this turning point. It's not about Peter's leadership. It's about what Peter's willing to say to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus needs his disciples to be certain of his identity. That's what he needs out of every one of us. He needs the same thing that, that he took his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi to settle on, that we don't dance around the issue, that we don't just think he's one of the prophets. He's either the savior of the world or he's just another guy. If he's just another prophet, you can choose to ignore him. If he's just one among many, then he's one among many. But if he truly is who Peter says he is, then his claims and his aims are of utmost importance. And that's why he needs his disciples to set on his identity. Because when you believe in his identity, then you can change the world for him. If you're not fully in, if you don't fully have this revealed to you, if you don't fully see Jesus for who he is, you could ignore his claims and his aims. Years ago, there's a lady that I know that was sitting in the passenger seat, and she was driving with a friend down Broad Boulevard in Cuyahoga Falls, and around 2nd Street, traffic was all backed up. People were honking, people were screaming, people were angry, but the good news was there was a police officer who, who must have gotten out of his squad car because he was directing traffic and he was going to get people out of this jam. But the longer they sat there and the longer they sat there, they began to believe that the police officer was slightly incompetent because the traffic jam just didn't seem to be abating. It just didn't seem to be getting any better. People are honking, people are screaming. Well, as they finally inched their way up to the main intersection where the police officer was, much to the horror of the woman in the driver's seat, the police officer starts to pull her over into a parking lot as if she'd done something wrong. It was at this point that the passenger says, No! Don't! And the driver said, Why? She goes, That's not a police officer. That's a guy I graduated with in a costume. True story. She goes, Just keep driving. He can't do anything to you. 
Now, some of you who live in Cuyahoga Falls might surmise who that police officer was because sometimes he still goes around in a police officer costume to this day. But he's not allowed to impersonate police officers anymore. I'm sure someone had a talking to with him after that experience. But once you drive up to that intersection and you see that he's not who he says he is, what do you do? You just keep driving. You ignore him because you realize that he has no claim on you. If you don't settle on the fact that Jesus is the tried and true savior of the world, you can ignore his claims and his aims. And so many of us can do that. And some of you in this room, you're doing that right now. You would consider yourself a Christian. You like the idea that you're in church. You might even say in a group like this, yes, I believe in Jesus. But his identity hasn't been confirmed in your spirit. You're you're really not sold out to the idea that every claim and aim of the scriptures that he places on you really stick. You treat him like the one in the costume because his identity hasn't been confirmed in your heart the way it had in Peter's. And I want to encourage you today that heaven and God in heaven needs to reveal the identity of Christ to you. Flesh and blood can't do that. I can't look at you over and over again and pound the table and say, Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. I am flesh and I have blood. It's not going to do it. No amount of convincing is going to convince anybody that Jesus is who he says he is. In fact, Jesus was doing marvelous miracles in the midst of these disciples, and they're dancing around the issue. He'd fed 5,000. He'd, he'd, he'd allowed crippled people to walk, dead girls to, to come to life again, and they're equivocating. They're, they're dancing around the identity of Jesus, and he's saying, but, but are you, is someone just going to say it? Is someone just going to really believe it? Who? This isn't Elijah. I make Elijah's miracles look small and insignificant. I'm not Jeremiah. No one wanted to hear Jeremiah. Look at these crowds. I'm certainly not John the Baptist. I don't eat locusts. I, I'm, I'm, uh, he had a ministry. I've got a movement. Is anyone going to say it? Well, see, just in the same way that his identity was confirmed in the spirit of Peter, his identity has to be confirmed in your spirit. It's got to be confirmed in your spirit. Jesus could do a thousand miracles. A thousand Christians could say to you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can sit in a thousand services, but truly not be settled on who he is. You can treat him as the false traffic cop, someone to listen to you, listen to, until such time as you don't need to anymore. I ask you the question today, is your spirit awake? Is your spirit awake? Is everything that you do at all times have to be controlled in the realm of flesh and blood? Is is your spirit awake today? To the point where Jesus could truly speak to you and reveal himself to you and open your eyes and your heart to his claims and his aims for your life. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. I don't know 
when Peter put himself in position for heaven to reveal this to him. But I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion. There was a day where Jesus did a powerful miracle. The miraculous catch of fish, if you remember it from the book of Luke. And upon seeing this miracle that Jesus had done, the Bible tells us that Peter fell down and said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, he had it right. He was willing to approach Jesus in humility, hit his knees, and recognize that he didn't come close to the person that Jesus was. He needed, he needed a savior. Have you reached that point where you'll hit your knees and recognize that you have no right and no claim to him, but that you need him and that he's come near to you? This is how his identity is confirmed in your spirit when you surrender your pride and say, I will open myself up to the idea that I'm not all that and that I don't have it all together, but that God has created me with a spirit to be connected to him. We must have our spirits awake to the revelation of who Jesus is because the church is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Savior, Son of God. It's not built on our kindness. It's not built on our music. Thank God it is not built on the preaching of the pastor because it would be too great a burden for anyone to bear. The church is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Savior, Son of God. That's ichthus, by the way, fish. That's ichthus. That's why everybody's got the, got the fish on the back of their car. They got the tattoo, right? Jesus which starts with an I in certain languages, Greek and Latin, I believe. Ichthus, Christ, C-H-T-H, God, Huios, U, Son, S, Savior. This is what the church is built on. Not on our programs, not, not, not on our preaching, not on our worship, not on how nice we are, not on what we can do for people, but the revelation that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, that there is no one like him, that there is no one close that he has come into this world to save humanity. And he was no mere man, but he was the one, the true son of God. Peter said of him in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, Repent and be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized because he has a promise for you of new life 
This is Jesus when, or this is Peter went on trial before the Sanhedrin just two, two chapters later. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, This Jesus is the stone who was rejected by you, the builders, who has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's somebody who had had heaven reveal the identity of Jesus. And somebody needed to say it so that heaven could reveal it to others. See, this is what Jesus was getting at. Even though this entire, here's a $10 word, pericope. That's a name for a story in the Bible. This entire story is about the identity of Jesus, but Jesus can't help but commission somebody in the story about his identity. Is that not the ultimate in Bible stories right there. He can't help but send human beings out to do his will when they've identified who he is. He can't help it because that's how he chose to redeem the world, not by coming and forcing himself on the world, but by persuading folks who chose his rule and his reign to partner with him in bringing salvation. See, Jesus invited Peter into the story in the moment that Peter identified him because heaven and heaven reveals it to people but someone needs to say it in order for it to be revealed and here's the good news if you're trending towards the idea that at some point you need to tell someone that Jesus died for them and is their savior because that's the gospel if you're trending towards that idea heaven's revealed it to billions before you open your mouth. When you say it, you won't be the first to say it. You'll be one among at least millions, tens of millions of people to tell the truth about who Jesus is. And somehow in the divine human exchange, someone goes, I believe. And I accept that he is the Savior, Son of God. You won't be the first to say it and feel like, should I have said that? Did I just ruin Thanksgiving dinner? Don't, don't say it at Thanksgiving dinner. Say it to an individual. If you want to say it at Thanksgiving dinner, go ahead. But I'd love you to be more directed than that. Somebody's got to say it in order for heaven to reveal it. Because this is how Jesus builds his church. His church is him. And it's so important that we say it because in Jesus' church, death loses. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. For those who believe in my name, death loses. The greatest problem of human beings is death. And in Jesus Christ, death loses. That's why we ought to say it. That's why we ought to settle. That's why we ought to proclaim it. And that's why we got to be willing to embrace the awkward and share with people about Jesus Christ. Because those in his church are spared eternal death. His identity is life and death. And I understand that it is culturally inappropriate to say what I'm about to say. 
but I want to be abundantly clear as to who Jesus claimed he was. His identity is life and death. And he is the Savior, Son of God, who died to make us all new. Buddha did not do that. And Muhammad did not do that. Nor did Vishnu or Confucius or Trump or Obama. The only one who can save is him. Because he's the only one who defeated sin and death. Our two greatest enemies. Someone needs to hear it. Someone here needs to settle on it. Someone needs to say it. The Lord convicted me this week. He said, I told you months ago, someone that you need to share the truth with, and you've not done it. You've not done it. And I, I thought, oh, can't somebody else do it? Truly. Can't, somebody else will do it. And he said, no, it's you. He's, 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 he's spoken it to me in prayer so many times, and I'm so rebellious and so stinky that I just want to ignore him. He said, okay. He said, not only do I want you to say it, but this is when and this is how. And I thought, oh, well, that's a great idea, God. Okay. Okay. Who do men say that I am, Matthew? Who do you say that I am? You need to say it. And I'll appoint the time and I'll appoint the way if you'll listen to me. And he wants that for each one of us. It's always going to feel awkward, but you are not the one blaspheming in prayer. You are the one saying the right words at the right time for people to escape eternal death. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I think it's in our nature as human beings to fear. It was fear that originally caused us to rebel against you, fear that you were holding out on us, that there was something more that we were missing and that we could somehow do better if we moved away from you. And Lord, oftentimes it's fear that keeps us from speaking the most important words that some people will ever hear. Oh, but Lord, the days are coming and they are now here where if we don't speak it, no one will. If the church of Jesus Christ in this country will not do the hard things. Then our heritage and our anointing will be given to another. Oh Lord, make of us people who will do the hard things. We cannot reveal you to people. Only heaven can do that.
that you've asked us to speak about the powerful, life-saving name of your Son and allow you to speak to spirits. God, would you give us a charge today? An unction of your spirit. Not to equivocate, but in humility and compassion to speak the name of Jesus. Not vaguely, but in truth. So that the gates of hell may be pushed back in one more life. the Lord is speaking to you today would you just pray to him right now and ask him to give you a charge an unction to give you a step of obedience whether you need to settle on his identity today whether you need to speak his identity today. Would you ask the Lord to speak to you right now? someone right now this is the moment to open your heart to heaven you've sat here week after week waiting for this time of prayer to be over but God wants to speak to you today and tell you that he's real turn your hands to heaven today put your knees to the earth today right now surrender your life to him for he's been after you for a long time ask him to melt your heart of stone ask him
If you're here today and you need to settle on Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, this is as good a place as any to do it. And I would just ask you in this moment to do something physical to match the spiritual, maybe for the first time in your life. But if you know God's speaking to you today and he's saying, you're mine and it's time to give your life to me, would you just lift two hands towards heaven in this place and say, that's me. That's me. I will humble myself before God and he can have my life. This isn't so I can do something to make you uncomfortable. This is so you can do something to surrender before God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. It challenges us calls us outside of ourselves. I pray, Lord, that we would be fully surrendered to hear your voice and to speak of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand today? I tried to preach for as long as possible in a ruse to get you to stay and celebrate baptisms in second service. Did it work? Anyhow, no, I know, I know a lot of you have plans, a lot of you have to go, but there are refreshments, there's coffee, there's friends to talk to in the lobby. We'd love for you to stay and celebrate with our baptism folks in second service. And as Pastor Aaron said, just walk out afterwards. We won't, we won't judge you. They might, but we won't. And uh, they're like, where's that guy going? He must hate Pastor Matt's preaching. But anyhow... Uh, We'd love for you to stay, stick around, but uh, it's going to be a special time in second service, so feel free to stick around. Of course, if you're parents and you've got kids that have given their life to Christ, but they're scared, they're nervous about being baptized, it's a great thing to have them see, so we'd love to have you stick around. But for now, God bless you, and we'll see you later.